Welcome to Pedagogue, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, Lee Gruwell talks about teaching at Auburn University, digital rhetorics and digital publics, feminist rhetorics, and new materialist rhetorics. Lee Gruwell is an associate professor of English at Auburn University, where she teaches undergraduate and graduate courses in writing and rhetoric. Her research centers on digital, feminist, and new materialist rhetorics, as well as composition pedagogy and research methodologies. Lee, thanks so much for joining us. You teach at Auburn University. Talk to me about your institutional context and your approach to teaching writing. Yeah, first, I'm happy to be here again. This is really fun. Auburn is a um, school, it's an SEC school, it's an R1 school, so it's kind of an interesting context. It's also a pretty, um, like, STEM-heavy school, lots of engineering students. It's pretty well known as an engineering school. So I guess it depends on the kind of classes that I'm teaching will really dictate the kind of students that I get. It's a pretty wide swath. So this semester, I'm, I'm teaching a first-year writing class, and I'm teaching an honors first-year writing class. So um, I have a lot of you know, engineering students, some pre-med students. I have an aviation student because that's a major that we offer at Auburn. Um, so I have a lot of like STEMI type students, particularly in like a first year writing course. And then moving up into, we have a public and professional writing major in the English department. So the students obviously are kind of more writing oriented by virtue of their choice and major. And then moving up to graduate students, which I will get everything from uh, graduate students in rhetoric and composition to creative writing to literature students. So it's it's a pretty wide swath of students that we encounter or that I encounter at least. Um, and of course that's gonna shape how I approach te- teaching the class. Um, I'll start by talking about first year writing because I think that might be one of the more difficult <laughs> teaching contexts that I encounter. Um, and I am fortunate that I do get to teach first year writing on a pretty regular basis. Um, I know a lot of folks, um, once you know they get into having tenure and they are teaching in a writing um, major or graduate program, they don't teach first year writing all that often. But I really like doing it because it's hard. <laughs> it's a challenge. Um, you have more students. It's a lot of writing to respond to. And like I said, in my case, most of the first year writing students I encounter are not interested in writing. They don't want to be there. It's a checklist item. It's something they have to um, get done so they can move on to the, you know, the content courses, the courses they really want to take. So in in a class like that, the challenge is, first of all, reminding students that writing is not something that's just relegated to English courses. <laughs> like they're going to continue to write in their major, regardless of what that major is. So we talk a lot about um, kind of disciplinary contexts of writing and, and you know, we talk about genre and we talk about how writing does stuff in the world and how, you know, genres are are ways of doing things in the world in a professional context, in a particular disciplinary context. Um, I guess it's helpful that my husband is an engineer because I bring up his his work a lot. Um, And I think that gives me some credibility with my with my STEM students because they are um, I can talk specific examples of like, here's an electrical engineer does a lot of writing his, his job. Um, So yeah, my first task is to really just kind of convince them that writing is not something that is going to be ending for them in in a first year writing class, like they're going to continue to encounter it. Um, And to remind them, right, that like, they're not going to learn everything they need to know about writing in my class that they need to, you know, so giving them the tools to kind of have that 
like rhetorical awareness and that metacognitive awareness of, of how, do, how do I understand this discourse community? How do I recognize the kind of rhetorical situation and, and pay attention to what my audience is expecting and how I can use all the tools at my disposal to get there. Um, but then we also talk a lot about, um, you know, writing, recognizing the writing skills that they already have um, and helping them recognize that, again, they do writing all the time even they don't want to think about texting or emails or um, even like posting TikToks or whatever as writing, but I teach a lot of digital rhetoric. So I'm happy to consider that as valuable kind of composing background. Um, yeah. So in a first year writing class, it's, it's kind of just like getting them to recognize writing as this really complex everyday thing that does work in the world. And it is not as easy as it sounds. That sounds like a very simple goal to reach, but it can be really difficult. I'm not sure that I've solved you know how to do that with every student um but yeah once once you get into classes in our major it's a little bit easier students already recognize that writing is important they imagine futures for themselves that involve writing not just in me in their major um but beyond you teach an undergraduate class on digital rhetorics and a graduate course on composing and digital publics i would love to hear you talk more about your digital rhetorics class and some objectives Maybe you could frame that class a bit and then talk about a specific assignment. Yeah, that's one of my favorite classes to teach. I think I've taught it three times now, um, which is usually about where you start to find a, a stride in a course after after three times. Um, that's also where I get antsy and I want to like start redesigning it. So we'll see what happens next time I teach it. Um, yeah, so it's it's a special topics class that I've taught as digital rhetorics, and it's um a class that we offer in our public and professional writing major. So I normally get mostly PPW students in there, but sometimes I'll get literature creative writing students because they have to take um, a handful of our courses for their major as well. Um, and yeah, the class, uh, the way I designed it, I really wanted to focus on kind of understanding like basic theories and principles and like concepts of digital composing. So we do a lot of work of just reading stuff and talking and um, doing kind of like academic kind of writing about like the disciplinary conversation and defining digital rhetorics and understanding those like kind of key concepts that I think are important to the field. Um, and then we move into like production, which is I think where the students really have a lot of fun. Um, so in that class, well, maybe I can talk about two assignments in tandem because I think they work together nicely. Um, so I think the second assignment in that class is called a, um, circle is a digital event tracing so it's essentially like building off of the work of Lori Greed's um where she um her article on iconographic traffic tracking we talk about that method and we use that as a way to kind of understand how things circulate in digital spaces and how circulation is such a central concept to digital rhetoric um and then what I asked them to do is basically use that methodology to trace some kind of event or meme or you know something online um and kind of argue about, make an argument about how it has become consequential through its circulation, how it has changed and how it kind of does work in the world. Um, I had a student actually, one of her, uh, one of my former students published a revised version of that in Queen City Writers. So um, it's a really cool assignment, but I think that preps them nicely for the final assignment in the class, which is that kind of more um, production oriented project. So it's called Digital uh, it's a digital activism project. So essentially it's it's a very open-ended kind of self-determined project. They choose something that they want to draw attention to um, or, you know, raise money for, or, you know, generate some kind of change. Um, and they essentially design the kinds of text. They design, they, they identify an audience, they identify their purpose. 
And I think having studied a lot about circulation is helpful for them because I asked them to compose a circulation plan for their project. I don't require that they actually do it because I'm pretty respectful and aware of um, some of the risks that come with composing in digital publics. I've written a lot about like harassment and digital aggression, um, but I want them to think about what will happen should they choose to publish it. Many of them do. Um, I don't require that they do, but many of them choose to. I want them to think about like what's going to happen once it is outside their control, right? And anticipate maybe some of that circulation um, and transformation that often accompanies circulation. It's a really fun class. I get great projects out of that. I've had students, um, I had one student do a website that was a map of the state of Alabama, which it's shocking that this doesn't exist already, but you could click on the county and get information about how to register to vote in your county. Apparently there's not such, or there wasn't such a website that existed. until she designed it, I had a student um, develop a Twitter campaign for like mutual aid for um, for trans youth, like just some really cool projects that have come out of it. And I'm really proud of the work that they've done. And I think the students are pretty proud of the work that they've done too. Lee, your research interests include feminist rhetorics and feminist research methodologies. Do you mind talking more about principles of feminist research methodologies and how you examine material and feminist rhetorics in digital spaces? Yeah, I think... Um, it's such a core kind of foundational assumption for me as a researcher. Um, my my undergraduate work is, I'm a, I have a literature major, but I focused a lot. I took feminist theory courses, um, women's literature courses. So a feminist kind of informed approach is so central to my work. I brought it to the field that it feels like it predates my work in writing studies. Um, for me, you know, I think when I think about what like feminist methodologies or feminist rhetorics are useful for what they help us articulate is power, right? And and being giving us tools to kind of understand how power is um, maintained, how it circulates, how it's distributed, how we can contest it. Um, it's an analytic tool, but I think that's also like an activist tool, right? For creating change in the world. And ultimately that's what feminist rhetorics are aiming for um, is to kind of re-equitably orient power. Um, So the other thing that I think I'm drawn to feminist rhetorics or that has been important to me when I think about feminist rhetorics is it's also, it's emphasizing embodiment, right? Um, Gender has traditionally been just, you know, understood as like a bodily performance, right? Um, And it's distributed through our bodies, not just gendered power, but racialized gender or racialized racialized power, um, like, sexualized power, all these kinds of different ways of thinking about power, it almost always intersects through the body. Um, And I think that's a really helpful framework for recognizing, right, how language, how rhetorical performances are always going to be located in a specific body that's going to have power being, you know, performed on it or intersected through it in some way. Um, That's why I really like to think about feminist rhetorics in digital spaces, because it's very easy. Um, I think, you know, we as a field have recognized that we are not, in fact, disembodied in online spaces, but I think that's a very easy assumption to make, especially when you're looking at disembodied texts like um, a Twitter post or an email or something where you don't physically see the body behind it. Um, But of course, we know like writing is a product of like an individual's experience in a society, right? Intersecting with all these kind of like societal pressures, power relations. 
Um, but subjectivity matters, embodiment matters, and that for me is really valuable as a researcher of digital rhetoric because it helps me understand how I, I would argue that by looking closely at kind of embodied experiences in online spaces, we can better understand how power works on the internet. Um, that's kind of, I think, the central <laughs> underlying uh, theme that unites my work. Um, and that's why I, I just keep returning to feminist rhetorics because I think it's such a valuable kind of analytical tool, methodological tool, activist tool. I think it really gives us a lot of work to do you know, to create any smart spaces, which is, I think, a goal that our field would, would share. Your book, Making Matters, was published in 2022. In the introduction, you argue that, quote, rhetoric is not an exclusively human product. Rather, it emerges from the entanglements of actors, human or otherwise, end quote. You call this, quote, new materialist rhetorics, end quote. I was hoping to give you some space to expand that definition and talk more about how new materialist rhetorics orients the field toward a more nuanced, quote, understanding of agency as distributed among assemblages, end quote. Yeah, so maybe it will be helpful to kind of give you a sense of um, why I wrote the book or like the story of the book. So I, this is unrecognizable as such, but it did kind of come out of my dissertation research where I was interested in um, agency, embodiment, and digital spaces. And while I had a very kind of strong feminist perspective bringing into that research, I, it wasn't until I defended my dissertation that I actually really started reading more about new materialist rhetorics. And I thought, oh, this is what I this is what I need to do. What I'm doing is and really understand how, as you know, actors online, we're not just kind of um, uh, we don't you know just have like in, in agency as individual actors, right? That it's it's a distributed process, that the technologies that we interact with, our bodies, all of those things are going to shape what we're able to do as composers in online spaces. So um, I had to do a lot of reading um, and I found new materialist rhetorics to be a really useful intervention in understanding, again, digital agency. My concern as I read through the work in our field and beyond, um, there was not the kind of interest or attention to power that I kind of bring to my work as somebody who um, you know does kind of intersectional feminist analysis. So I guess that was the sort of exigence of my book is saying this is a really valuable tool for understanding power. Unfortunately, we're not really using it to that end, at, at least in, in the iteration of new materialist rhetorics that I was kind of engaging with. So that's that was my impetus, I guess, for writing the book is to kind of bring a unite feminist rhetorics, which have always been really attentive to the material, not just the body, but also um, material conditions, right? Um, class, race, um, economic factors, all of those things. Um, and feminist rhetorics also have a really broad tradition of valuing like different kinds of composing, not just writing or speaking, but um, crafting and like even everyday artifacts like um, recipes or grocery lists or those kinds of things, scrapbooks, right? Um, so it, it seems to me that these two fields um, were really doing very similar work um, and, and I hadn't really seen them be put into conversation yet. So that was really my goal, I guess, for writing the book and, and to use these two areas, feminist rhetorics and new materialist rhetorics to articulate some of those, how power works, right? In, and how it's um, distributed among physical agents, but also like, um, digital agents like algor algorithms or kind of um, digital actors that we see out there, platform design, all of that. 
So the book focuses on digital spaces, but it also focuses on like physical acts. They have a craft uh, craftivism chapter, um, which is talking about craft. Craftivism is craft plus activism. So um, act, uh, incidents of, of craft being used towards activism. But I also talk about um, the way in which digital and material actors are are kind of intertwined and we can't really separate them, especially not in, you know, 2023. The chapter, the fifth chapter in the book is about the Women's March. And I think that's a really instructive example to understand how agency is distributed among human and non-human actors, but also among digital and physical actors. If you think about a mass protest like the Women's, Women's March and think about you know, how people organized, it was not just, you know, analog, it was not offline, it was people in physical spaces using digital tools and vice versa, right? So that, those were the kinds of locations where I centered the book. And I, I really use these as a way to examine how, to make the argument that by understanding the ways that um, power is distributed among these like material assemblages of humans, non-humans, physical actors, digital actors, that we can really begin to account for the way that power circulates online um, and, and offline too. But um, yeah, that was kind of the goal of the book is to think about how materiality is, a, material assemblages are a useful lens to understand power. Power doesn't flatten in these assemblages, it's distributed unequally. And if we're able to use um, the tools of materialism to kind of articulate the actors that populate a specific assemblage, I think we'll be able to better identify those, those inequities and, and rectify them, ideally. What surprised you through the process of writing this book? Oh, well, I, I think writing a book is just a constant process of being surprised and disappointed and <laughs> confused. <laughs> um, so there's lots of moments like that. I think maybe when I think about the biggest surprise of the process of writing the book or the, how that's reflected in the product. Um, so the second chapter in the book is, is about kind of investigating craft um, as a as a process, like the actual physical process of crafting and sort of how that's manifested historically. But I also talk about how rhetoric, kind of classical rhetoric, and I'm meaning specifically like Western Greek classical rhetoric, um, has also been really invested in the idea of craft as like a synonym for rhetoric, right? We think about rhetoric as being crafty or cunning or, you know, being kind of slippery in some way. Um, so I use the terms metis and kairos and techne to talk about the ways that there's these kind of roots in kind of crafty thinking um, that hold up like, again, Western kind of ideas of rhetoric or classical Western ideas of rhetoric. I wasn't intending to write that. Um, that just kind of happened. I don't, I think, I think it came out of my teaching actually, where I was teaching kind of classical rhetoric concepts and, and thinking about techne and thinking about how it's this kind of informed practice right this idea of, of but also thinking about it in terms of timeliness and the embodiment that menace brings to it um yeah it, it kind of came out of my teaching i wasn't expecting to talk about classical rhetoric in my book um but i really am happy that i did because i think it strengthens strengthens the argument excuse me that you know kind of crafty thinking is beneficial because craft again, foregrounds these assemblages of like physical actors and, and human actors um, and how they work together to do something. Um, yeah, that was a surprising chapter. I didn't intend to write it. It was one of those things where you, it doesn't happen often for me as a writer, but sometimes, you know, you all sit down and suddenly you have like 10 pages of writing and you're like, oh, I didn't even know I had that to say. So that was maybe a surprise, I guess, in the process of writing it. Thanks, Lee. And thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers. Until next time.